If you would, open your copy of God's Word to James chapter 1, and we will continue our study um, through the book of James. We are um, looking at James. It is a very practical book. It is uh, a book that we're, we're seeing how faith works, and so each week we are taking a section and relating it to faith. How does, how, what does this show us about our faith? And today... I want to talk to you about a faith that seeks truth. Now, I could easily have also called this message how to avoid deception, a faith that avoids deception, but I wanted to put it in the positive, not in the negative. And so I want us to see what a faith that seeks truth in light of spiritual deception looks like, which is what James warns his readers here. So if you have James chapter 1, <clears throat> let's begin in verse 12. And we will read through verse 18. Verse 12 begins and says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person, when he is tempted is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Pray with me. Father, awaken us today to the spiritual deception that lays prey for us. Awaken us to the fact that we have an enemy in this world and that there are deceptions all around seeking to steal our joy, our faith, our obedience to serving you. Father, help us today to see that you are good, that you give good and perfect things. And the greatest thing that you have given us is salvation in Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, it wouldn't take long for me to convince you that we live in a day and an age where we have to be careful because there is deception everywhere. Maybe you have gotten a phone call this past year. There's been a huge, um, a huge scam running this, this past year with people calling saying they're from the IRS. You messed up and they're about to issue a warrant for your arrest. Have you, have you, anyone got the call? Okay, some of you have gotten the call. Um, and and if, you, if you dial the numbers or whatever and speak to the live IRS agent, it's somebody with a foreign accent that will tell you to go to Target and buy gift cards and like mail them to them to pay off your IRS debt so you're not arrested. Um, that sounds legit, right? <laughs> IRS loves Target. Um, but it's out there. Or... I, I, we're all fed up at this point living in Florida with all of the political TV ads, right? Um, deception all around. 
from every angle. Um, you know, it, 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 pro, the, the, the proposition one thing. I watched commercials back to back where they both, one commercial was for it, one commercial was against it, and they both claimed the exact same thing. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just all around. This, this election cycle more than any other that I know of. I know many of you have seen many others, and you could probably attest the same thing. It's just, it's all deception. We are, we are voting this year against people instead of for people, it seems like. But deception is all around us. Um, in fact, this past week, I, I have to tell you this, I found out that I am related to a Nigerian prince. This came by email. Um... I didn't even know the guy, but he's left me millions of dollars. I'll still be here, okay? I'll still be here. But, uh, but I got, yeah, I got this email that, that, that my uncle, he died. He left me millions of dollars. Um, all I need to do is send them my, my bank routing number because they got to get it to me. And, and they need some, 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 something to verify that it's me, you know, my birth date, social security number, and previous addresses for the last 10 years. That, that'll work to verify. And, uh, and then I can get my millions of dollars. We live in an age of de- where we have to be careful against deception. Uh, anybody that has a child that's on the internet, one of the first things that you begin to tell your child now is you have to be extremely careful. And we forget about it sometimes, but we are on guard all the time. We should be, at least, because there is deception all over seeking to take advantage of us financially. But the con artists in this world are not just financial, not just political, but there is spiritual deception as well. Uh, Satan is called the master deceiver. John 8, says he is a liar and the father of lies. He and his false prophets disguise themselves as angels of light, 2 Corinthians tells us. They promise to answer your deepest concerns. They seem to give you little bits and pieces of things that, that might smooth what seems to be a problem. But in the end spiritually are seeking to lead you to destruction. What we're going to see here in James is a fact that you will see over and over again in the lives of individuals. When we are tested, when difficult seasons arrive, when when things get tough, attributes, personalities, things show that normally don't show when things are going easy, right? One of those things is we begin to doubt our faith. We begin to get very susceptible to these lies, to these deceptions about our faith. People, yourself, will begin to doubt. You'll hear things like, so God is powerful. Why did he let this happen? God loves you? Why are you going through this? These are the voices that seem to come to us during these moments. Temptations, if you would. We just looked at temptations last week. Temptations to doubt God, to doubt our faith, to doubt His goodness, ultimately. His goodness towards us. And so James writes to help encourage his church that has been dispersed, that is going through this difficult time. He's writing to them to explain to them how not to be deceived, 
How not to be deceived. How to be vigilant against the deception, the spiritual deception to say God is not good because of what you're going through. Now, friends, you might not be in a drastic uh, spiritual controversy right now internally, but times will come, difficulties will come, days will come, seasons will come when the same types of deception ring in our ears, do they not? And so today what I want us to see is how James reminds his church how to have a faith that seeks the truth, how to have a faith that does not give in to spiritual deception. And so there's three things here that I want us to see. First thing is, is to avoid spiritual deception, we have to be on guard. We have to think about it. We have to realize when we get on the internet and we get an email saying that you've just inherited a million dollars, it is not true. (laughs) There is deception out there. There is spiritual deception out there. I love this. Look at verse 16. James, <clears throat> James is writing to correct a problem that's happening. People are doubting God because of this difficulty that they're going through. And James doesn't come out and, and come out hard on them. He comes out and he calls them his beloved brothers. He has a pastor's heart. I love this. We're going to see this more and more as we look through James. He is not cruel. He is not uh, over these people, you know, commanding that they believe this way, commanding that they do this. He is very loving and very tender. And he's very concerned for his church that's going through this difficult time. And so he calls them beloved brethren. He has a pastor's heart here. And he writes to them during this hard time, And he tells them, do not be deceived. This is literally stop being deceived. So what we can take from this is is apparently some of the readers here are are turning in the faith. Some of the the people that had come out of James's church in Jerusalem and that had gone into this hard time spiritually, they are struggling spiritually. They are wondering, why why is this happening? Does, Does God really love me if this is happening? Why isn't God stopping this? Many questions that we might ask during a similar situation, right? Many questions that we probably have asked when we've gone through difficult times. And so James writes here first and warns them. He tells them, be on the lookout for this. Do not be deceived. Do not fall for this lie. Do not fall for this faithless reasoning that says that God doesn't love me, that God isn't in control. Don't fall for it. Don't walk down that road. Don't let your faith up. Don't take your eyes off of Christ. Do not be deceived. And then he reminds them, do not be deceived that God has given good gifts. That God is the giver of good gifts. Now this is kind of interesting because the question is, what are the good gifts that James speaks of here? We've all quoted this passage, right? God is the the giver of all good things, the giver of all good gifts. We've quoted that passage. What's the context? Have you thought of it? The good gifts primarily here are the fact that the trials that you're undergoing are a good gift. Remember back earlier in chapter 1, James says when you come through various trials, count it what? A joy. Why? Because we like going through hard times? No. 
Because we know that through these hard times, God through His sovereignty, God through His love is working to refine us. He's working to make us more like Him. He's working to put us more in His image, to make us more like Christ, to develop our faith deeper in us. And we've mentioned it many times as we've looked through this and related to the troubles that the church is going through. We all have gone through situations that we would say, I never would want to do that again. But I'm glad God brought me through that because of what He taught me, because of what I learned in the crucible. And so here, could we imagine that a difficult trial, God using it in our life, is actually a good gift? Is actually a good gift? But that's what James writes. Remember Job? Job's a good book to read when you're going through difficult seasons. Job goes through the most difficult season that we could ever imagine. He loses everything. And at the same time, God is allowing this to take place so that he can be tested, so that he can see his faith. It's a, it's a very interesting and complicated in many ways books, but there's a lot of hope here. Remember Job's wife told him to curse God and die? Do you remember what Job's answer was? This is what Job's answer is. Shall we indeed accept, every, accept good from God and not accept adversity? Do you remember the Apostle Paul as he writes about this thorn in his flesh? There's, there, there's, there's, <laughs> there's a good theological discussion at a, uh, <laughs> at, a, at a theology meeting, you know, evangelical theological society. You know, what is the thorn in the flesh? Well, we don't know. But we do know this, it was very serious to Paul. It was very serious to Paul. It was a very difficult season that Paul walked through with this. And what does Paul say about it? He says that it was a cause for rejoicing because it kept him in humble dependence on God. This is a good gift. The difficulty that you go through sometimes is a good gift. God gives us good gifts. We have to be careful not to dismiss the gifts of God. It's easy when things are going well. It's easy when we're getting the stuff that we want, when everything's clicking and we're moving right along. But then when adversity comes, when trials of various kinds, as James writes, comes, are you quick to give up? Are you, are you quick to give in? Are you quick to say, oh God, why, why this? Why now? Don't you love me? Aren't you there? Can't you stop this? Don't be deceived. And so the first thing that we have to see is, is that there is a deception that is all around. Is it, who's traveled to a foreign country? Okay? When you travel to a foreign country, especially if you go like on a missions trip to a third world country, you'll always get the lecture. Okay? The lecture is, don't put your wallet in your back pocket. Okay, because a pickpocket will get you, right? You travel to a foreign country and, and you break out the fanny pack, okay, so that you can lock that thing right there and know where it is. Some of you wear that fanny pack anyways. Um, you, you take your passport and you put it around your neck, right? You do everything that you can because you know that there is danger possible. You know that there is something that could take place. You know that there's a deception that could take advantage of you. Friends, when you go through difficult times, listen to James, 
Be aware. Do not be deceived. Be on alert. Perhaps right now you're going through a difficult season. Perhaps right now something has you extremely anxious, extremely worried. Take a breath and realize God is good. Take a breath and realize I have to be careful because I can be misled by my heart right now. I need to focus on the truth of who God is and his love for me. Be alert. That's the first thing that we have to do, not to be deceived. We have to be, uh, we have to be vigilant, against, vigilant against deception. We have to be careful about spiritual deception. We have to be on guard. The second thing that we have to do, James says, is that in order to avoid spiritual deception, in order to avoid having our, our faith pulled away from us like this, We have to affirm God's goodness. Instead of doubting God, we have to remember God is good, even through difficult circumstances. We have to remind ourselves over and over again sometimes that God is good, that God loves me. Because this is at the heart of what Satan often tries to do. Think about the Garden of Eden. The the serpent comes to Eve and he says to her, God said you can't eat any of this fruit. Now, that was a lie. And she told him, that's a lie. That's not, that's not what God said. God said, I can have of anything here except this one. And then the lie turns and says, well, you know why? Because if you eat of that, you'll be like God. He's holding something back from you. He doesn't want you to be like him. He's not good. Do you see how this is the heart of the lie? See how this is the heart of the deception? The heart of it is, is that God is really not good. He's, there's, there's something here that he's holding back from you. He's not good for you. You don't listen to him. Don't listen to his word. Just go ahead and do it. And we all know what happened. The temptation is often the same for us in moments of trial, even sometimes in not really undergoing a lot of things. We doubt God's goodness. And when we begin to doubt God's goodness, we begin to walk away from our faith in Him. Some people do this and completely walk away from the faith. Some live in a stale spiritual life for many years. Perhaps you have a testimony of a time in your life that you have done this as well. That you have begun to doubt God's goodness. You've begun to doubt his power, his love for you. And you have become idle. I would encourage you to look to his word. To to look to the testimony of your own life. To look to the things that, that God has done in your life. That which he is doing. That which he has done in those around you. That's a wonderful thing when we come together as a church and we celebrate not only what God is doing in each of us, but us together and our church as a whole. It encourages all of us in our faith that God is good that he's working and he's doing wonderful things. Maybe you need to be reminded that. James reminds his people here, look at verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. His point here is that God's gifts for us are good. God is working good for us. If you remember back to the last sermon, last week we talked about temptation. And James writes to his people and he says, God will not tempt you. 
to sin. God himself does not sin and he does not tempt you to sin. But instead, the reverse is what? James continues in this passage and says, God is good. He is the Father of lights. All good things come from Him. He is good. He exudes goodness. Goodness is His character. That is who God is. Not only in these trials is He teaching us and is He loving us and is He sharpening us, but we see God's good gifts all around us in, in the things that we enjoy in Good food and family in his beauty in the wonderful experience of life. All of these things come to us from a God who is good and has good for us. Do you know that? Do you remember that during your difficulty, during your trial? James says, this is interesting, that they come down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change or, or shifting the idea is, is that it, it, this is the only place in the Bible where God is called the Father, the, the, the Father of lights. It's an interesting phrase. And the contrast here would be Satan and darkness. So light in the Bible is associated with good, with holiness, with greatness. Um, darkness is often associated with evil, with sin, with Satan. And so the idea here is that God is the Father of lights in whom there is no variation, no shifting shadow. It's almost as though he's drawing a comparison to the sun, isn't it? Think about it like this. At night, which will be like 7 o'clock, it'll be pitch, bar- pitch dark tonight, you realize that? At night, when you go outside and there is no sun, do you ever doubt that the sun is gone? Do you ever say, the sun's not coming back? It's gone. It's left us. On a cloudy day, when you look up and, and, and the, the clouds are very thick and there's not a lot of sun coming through, do you go, oh man, the sun has lost its power? Do we say that? Or if, uh, if we see an eclipse, there was one not long ago, if we see an eclipse and we see, uh, we see something else move in front of the sun and the earth, and for a moment... The sun seems to disappear. Do we panic? Do we say the sun's not coming back? Where did it go? It's it's vanished. It's not here for us. Here's the comparison James is making. Because you're going through a difficult season and it seems dark, God has not changed. Because it's cloudy and there's difficulties coming your way, God has not changed. Because you may not see what he's doing at this moment, God has not changed. He is the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Do you see this? Do you see this comparison? Do you know this in your life? Do you understand how in difficult times this is important for us to remember? That God is good to me. God loves me. I know that he loves me. I know that he's good to me. I know that he is blessing me. Even through this trial, even through this difficulty, there's a there's a, a greeting, or sometimes it's used as a call to worship. I don't know if you've ever done it here, but I'm sure you're probably familiar with it. And the person who is before the congregation <coughs> will call out, "God is good," and the people respond all the time, and then the the pastor responds all the time. 
And the people respond, God is good. Now, it's a wonderful, fun little call to worship, but this actually originated in Africa. Um, they, they say that in Nigeria. But where it became really instilled and well-known was the testimony of Liberian Christians in the country of Liberia. Liberia went through 15 to 20 years of a horrible civil war. Horrible civil war. Christians and Christian churches were at the forefront of what was happening. There was persecution all around them. Death, poverty. They were, they were uh, having, being forced out of their homes as refugees. And throughout all of this, every Sunday, they became known because they would start their services. God is good. And the people would say, all the time. And the pastor would say, all the time, God is good. We need that reminder when we go through difficult seasons. We need to constantly remind ourselves not only that there is spiritual deception that seeks to steal our joy in Christ, that seeks to uh, be after us, especially when we're undergoing difficult times, when we're undergoing difficult seasons. Not only is that a reality, but to combat that reality, we remember God's goodness. We need to look to His Word. We need to remember the testimony of His people, the testimony of our own lives, of that which God has done. To do so, we can avoid a spiritual deception through difficult times, saying, God isn't there. He doesn't love me. He can't control this. Do you see how that temptation's there? This is how we combat it, is to remember that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Third thing, James writes here and reminds us to, to avoid spiritual deception. Not only do we need to remember that God is good, not only do we need to affirm constantly that God is good, but remember your own salvation. Remember the good thing that God has done in you. The good thing that God has done in you. And you see this here in verse 18. Again, the temptation here that James is writing about is when we go through difficult times, two things are said. One, God doesn't love me. He's not good. He's not there. Two, God's not big enough to fix this. He can't do anything about it. Those are the temptations that, <clears throat> that come. Those are the, the negative voices that seek to uh, destroy our faith, to lead us astray. To deceive us. The deception that's there. James writes here in verse 18, and he affirms, of, he affirms us of God's sovereignty and our salvation and his love for us. It reminds me of Philippians 1.6. Paul writes and says, For I am confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is still there. God is still working. So let's look at this in verse 18. We, we must remember that God has saved us and he will care for us in every trial. There, there's two points here. That's the first one, is that God saved us and he will care for us. Look at the first part of verse 18. It says, of his own will, he, <clears throat> he brought us forth by the word of truth. Notice, during this difficulty, during this hard time, during this season when temptation is here, 
James doesn't remind us to think about ourselves and what we've done. He points to what God has done in our salvation. And our salvation is, is a mystery in that God is working to save us, and at the same time, we respond to that in faith and repentance and in love for Jesus Christ. But we have to remember, it's not just us. We didn't one day wake up and get smart and say, oh, I think this is the best idea. God has been at work in us and for us with this good thing, with this wonderful thing, with this salvation. During moments of trial, during moments of spiritual deception, James tells us not only to remember that God is good, but remember God has been very good to you. That He has made you to become, as Jesus says, born again. He has worked and done wonderful things in us. Remember your salvation during these difficult times. It's interesting here how he explains salvation. He says that of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, by the gospel, by the scripture. Friends, this is a reason why the church cannot just uh, exist on coolness, cannot just exist on you know, whatever the most popular hip thing is. It it can't exist on what cultural draws might happen. The church is called to be a place that honors and proclaims the Word of God, the Word of truth. Because it is through that by which the power of God comes to us. Remember that. It is through that by which the power of God comes. We could build a crowd... But we can't build a church. Only God does that, and He does that through His Word. So the first thing is, is remember your salvation. Remember that God has saved you. The second thing here, the the second part, is that since God has has saved us, He has a purpose for us, and He will care for us through all of our trials. Look at the second part of verse 18. It says that that God has saved us by His own will. He has saved us through His Word, through the Word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Again, this kind of seems strange. Um, I'm a firstfruit of the creatures. Uh, (laughs) Doesn't really make a great worship song. I don't know, maybe you can find one. Um, (laughs) But what's God, what is James saying here? What is he trying to remind us of? What he's trying to remind his readers, remember his, his church was the church in Jerusalem, so they have a Jewish background. So they would have been very familiar with the idea of first fruits, with the concept of first fruits, especially the, 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 uh, the first fruits in the Old Testament of sacrifice, where the, the first bit of your harvest you gave to God. The first bit of, of what came in, you gave to God. Not, not, not at the very end when everything was good and you knew, okay, the IRA is going to be fine. We can now give to God, okay? That wasn't the idea. The idea was is that it was an act of faith. It was an act of faith to say, God, you have blessed me. You have given me this. I know that you will continue to bless me, so I'm going to give you my first portion. Okay, that's the idea of first fruits, of first fruit giving. Is it, again, it, it relates to God's faithfulness, to His goodness. 
It is us by faith saying, God, you have done this. I know that you will continue to do this. James writes to remind us, his readers there, they are only the first bit of what God is doing in saving individuals. This was a long time ago. The church was pretty small still. Uh, James, if we, if we believe what most commentators say, is probably one of the first books of the Bible written. And so at this point, it's kind of interesting because the Gentile church has not really taken off yet. An explosion is about to happen globally. But even still today, because the way the gospel works, because the the way that God saves individuals through the proclamation of the gospel, through the work of the church, through the work of individual people within the church, individual Christians loving and sharing and telling the good news and, and telling of who Jesus is and encouraging others to repent and to believe in him, we are first fruits of what God is going to do. Do you realize this? We are a small part, but there's also a huge responsibility because we're called to serve God. We're called to proclaim the word of truth. It's interesting here how James phrases this because the idea is, is to get the thoughts of the people off of themselves as they go through these trials, as they go through this deception. So the lie that keeps coming in is God doesn't love me, God isn't good. He can't stop this. He won't stop this. I don't know what's happening. James says to stop that thinking. Look to God's goodness. Remember that God has saved you. Ultimately, the ultimate goodness is that he has called you in Jesus Christ to know him and to love him. He has saved you from your sin. He has provided salvation and redemption and given you a new life. And secondly, you are a first fruit. That means you have something to do. God has saved you for a reason, for a purpose. Stop thinking only about yourself. Stop looking down upon yourself and look out to the world at how you can serve and be a blessing to others in the name of Christ. That's a helpful hint for when we go through a funk, isn't it? It's not just about me, which you'll find so often is God has sent various trials in your life as a way to introduce you to those that you can minister to that you never would have without it. How many of us could say, I've been through some things, and because of that, I now can relate and share the gospel and have a tenderness for people in a certain situation that I never would have before. That's much of what God is doing through our trials. So James writes and tells us to avoid spiritual deception, we have to first be alert We have to second, remember that God is good. We have to third, think of our own salvation and our own service to the Lord. Let me end, let me end with this illustration. Let's end with Joseph. Do you remember Joseph? You want to talk about a story here that, that encourages us to remain faithful under difficult seasons? Joseph, Joseph was loved by his father. His brothers hated him. They were going to kill him, and instead they sold him into slavery. Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife seeks to seduce him. He resists. He does the right thing. You think the right thing's going to happen? He ends up in prison. It'd be easy for Joseph 
to give up. God, you don't love me. Where are you? Why can't you stop this? But instead, what we see is Joseph is still serving in the prison. God is continuing to bless him. And what happens is he ends up in just a few short years over all of Egypt. And then his brothers come to him. And he has the opportunity to kill his brothers who wanted to kill him. But instead, this is what Joseph says in Genesis 50, 20. As for you, as you meant evil against me, God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive, especially his own family, through that difficult situation, Joseph saved the people of Israel. He saved his family. In many trials, Joseph had the opportunity to give up, but he continued to remember the goodness of God. He continued to be faithful to all that God has called him to. And in the end, he had, he had an idea. He got to see what God was doing through his life, through the difficulties. Friends, do not be deceived. The difficulties that you are going through, God is using. He is good. He loves you, and He's powerful. Look to your salvation. Look to Him. Endure. And you will one day, as verse 12 says in James, receive the crown of life.